0: Welcome to Freed Up. This is the podcast that makes life feel lighter. And if you're wanting to live freed up and not fed up, stay connected right here. Pull up your seat. Join us in this place where faith and mental health meet. Whether you're returning here or it's your first time, I hope you find this podcast as a useful resource to elevate your faith and mental health. Today, we revisit our conversation on shifting shame. We've covered in our last episode, the faith perspective. Today, we'll talk about the mental health perspective. So stay a while, all of you. We're getting it started in just a moment. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back to this follow-up episode in our series on shame. So right off the top, I want to share something with you. I listened about six times to the most recent episode from Freed Up on shame from the faith perspective. Why is this? (laughs) Because I am in this season, as I always say, walking this road with you where I have had to acknowledge some pretty intense shame behaviors and thinking that have shown up in my life in some ways that have really tripped me up and held me back. And while I've identified some of this before, it feels more present for me in this particular time. And I believe it is because I've told God yes to him working on some areas with me, especially around doubts and fears. And I've shared this before. And these seem to be circling inside me and around me in so many ways, unlimited ways it feels like the last couple of years. And they are mostly around relationships. So I could be honest with y'all, I know that. There are some recently uncovered spaces that I'm having to keep open right now that feel so very, very, very scary and vulnerable, almost unbearable at times. And these feelings come up for me almost every single day. And I do mean every single day. But God, he's helping me to breathe through them, trust through them, cry through them, quote scriptures through them, stay through them and not run off or close myself off again. And did I say cry already? I think I did. And I want to just take a minute to talk about crying. okay? because crying is an expression and a language. It speaks for our hidden and untapped words, a liquid cleansing of sorts. And for me, sometimes the crying is about anxiety that I manage or when I feel overwhelmed and my tears are a response to that anxiety. Sometimes they come because they are an expression of the grief that I feel. Um, because of experiences that are coming up for me that cause shame to hard cover my heart and my soul. And God is saying to me, continue to mourn these experiences and these memories. Keep the cover off and shift the shame. And then sometimes the tears are my gratitude that God would be so gracious to keep letting me grow in my awakening with him. Given me these new chances to surrender these soul weights to him and to develop in my awareness and understanding of what steps and tools, techniques, strategies, what is going to work for me in particular to keep pressing toward my freed up self. So listen, the journey is not for the fastest, the swiftest or the strongest. But it is truly for each of us who decides and who dares to stay on the path, y'all. Get back up on it when we fall down or off or stumble when the stretch seems dark and foggy. The journey is for those who know that when we are weak, he is strong and his grace is truly sufficient. More than enough to keep us on this path. And I mean, keep us, protect us and encourage us. So I'm not sure what you're working on or through right now, but I simply want to say to you, say yes and keep saying yes. Join me in that. We will encourage each other. Accept the invitation that God is giving you to dig deeper and pull up the roots. The weeding out of the foxes in your garden are creating for you the strong, fragrant, beautiful blooms that you are praying for. So I thought I would just take the first part of this episode to share a little bit about where I am on this freed up journey and to encourage you to assess where you are and to stop and honor your progressions and your growth, because from here, it looks so good on you. Well, today I want to dig into this topic a bit more from the mental health perspective. And so just as we talked about how to combat shame in the spiritual space, I'm going to talk about how we can begin to unplug shame's stuckness. And so during this segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about what shame is and how it finds its way into our lives and how it shows up in our thinking and living. Now, the emotion of shame has been studied in the mental health field for decades, Dr. Gershon Kaufman, a clinical psychologist who researched shame in the 80s and the 90s and wrote different books about shame, said this, If we are to understand and eventually heal what ails the self, then we must begin with shame. Brene Brown, who is more readily identified around research with shame in recent years. And she says That shame, particularly in Western culture, is characterized by a common experience of not enoughness. That within our own present-day society, we are marked by a consistent striving to achieve perfection. And on the other side of that is the setup for failure. I heard it said by someone who now I cannot recall, but this visual of this statement has always stuck with me. They said, perfectionism is shame dressed in a ball gown. Well, the root word of shame is to cover. And if you remember from the previous episode, as we looked at the lives of the first humans, the first thing they did after they realized that they had trespassed against God's plan for them is that they covered themselves. Shame is an emotion that is difficult to bear because it is connected to the belief that something is wrong with me. Myself is flawed. Myself is a failure. Myself is not lovable, not worthy. Myself is not worthy of love or goodness. Goodness meaning kindness, help, support, or any receiving. Shame is often referred to as a self-conscious emotion because it is evaluative in nature. That's why I call it the emotion with the belief system, because it requires some level of awareness and cognitive discriminating to draw an emotional conclusion toward this particular feeling and emotion. And shame is a bit different from other evaluative emotions like guilt. And embarrassment because guilt is feeling badly about some behavior or action that affected someone else. And someone can actually feel embarrassed because of something that has been said or done without necessarily feeling like they are flawed. Though shame can exacerbate the feelings of both embarrassment and guilt. Dr. Kaufman says that both guilt and embarrassment seemingly have some level of remedy by the individual either by the ability to right a wrong or just letting an embarrassing moment pass over. But shame, on the other hand, seems to create this sense of powerlessness and that powerlessness is wrapped up in the nature of shame. So what causes shame? Well, there are lots of factors that can be a contributor. And it's in this particular area that I really appreciate the work of Dr. Joseph burjo He's a psychotherapist who authored a book, Shame, Free Yourself, Find Joy, and Build True Self-Esteem. And he describes shame as a whole family of emotions, which includes embarrassment, guilt, self-consciousness, and humiliation. He also says that they can be strong or weak feelings. They can be brief or they can last, but they all involve this connection and this difficult awareness of self. In his book, he outlines four ways to look at shame, which he refers to as shame paradigms or these typical situations where we are likely to feel shame emotions. So I wanna kind of cover those really quickly. The first one is unrequited love. And unrequited, we don't use a lot in our present day language or terminology, but it basically just means one-sided love or a love that is not reciprocated, that unrequited love, let me say it right, unrequited love can often lead to feelings of shame because of the fundamental and most basic need to have reciprocated love in our lives. He extends on this and talks about this basic mother-infant relationship that begins and forms in the early stages of a child's life. And if you remember, we talked a little bit about this content in the earlier part of the year around attachment. This is exactly what Dr. Bergeau is referring to here. How we experience connection, closeness, and how our emotional needs met or not, sends messages to our brain and body about what we should feel about ourselves, So much of our core shame is a carryover from our earliest experiences in life with caregivers and with parents or with other adults in authority and even within societal systems where you didn't feel seen, valued, or had a felt sense of belonging. And we also know that needs are impacted through adverse childhood experiences. And so all of these factors contribute to not feeling fundamentally lovable and worthy at your core. Dr. Virgil also talks about other experiences over time, particularly in our adolescent and adult years, where we may have liked or loved someone and they didn't like us back and or the relationship ended. Or we wanted to be friends with somebody and they didn't want to be friends. So that can feel like rejection. But we know our core shame also interprets certain behaviors like these, which can be normal experiences in life, as something negative about us. Because not everybody is going to like us. And guess what? We're not going to like everybody either. But when we begin to internalize the fact that someone else doesn't like us in a relationship or that the relationship ends, when we internalize that as something wrong with us, that is where shame becomes a problem. So the second situation where shame can develop in our lives is around experiences of exclusion. And so, of course, as social beings, we need to belong. And when we are left out, ostracized, marginalized in any way, we feel shame. And this is especially true for people of color. I want to center that people of color, or anyone whose society deems as others or different. And I want to say that shame is generational trauma that gets passed down and perpetuated in our society's value or hierarchy on value. So we feel shame when we're excluded. The third situation is around unwanted exposure. So this can look like when you have drawn attention to yourself in ways that you didn't want to or did something that deeply embarrassed you. And when those feelings about this exposure become a statement about self, then they can evolve into shame. And then the last one that Dr. Berger really surfaces for a situation that creates shame is disappointing expectations. Yeah. He talks about disappointed expectation is something that when you've set a goal or you've decided that you're going to do something in life and you don't make it, you fall short or you fail, then you can potentially feel shame. So we all know that failure is a part of life. It is a part of our growth. It is a part of success. But instead of seeing failure in that way, when we see ourselves as a failure, rather than having experienced a failure, shame can set in. When you see yourself as a disappointment rather than experiencing a disappointment, shame can set in. And when we experience situations like all of these over time, we can develop core shame. Dr. Patty Ashley, who wrote the book Shame Informed Therapy, believes that core shame erodes our ability to recognize our true self, the essence of who we are born to be. And then in its place, this false sense of self emerges in an attempt for us to feel lovable. So we often create stories or narratives about ourselves based upon what others' evaluations of us are, and or we develop unhealthy or maladaptive coping mechanisms. Clinical psychologist Dr. Whitfield says that the false self develops based upon what others want, and it overconforms, it loves conditionally, it hides, it covers, and it denies feelings. That's the false sense of self. It does these things because it has not connected to the pure and true essence of who we really are. And then other behaviors and emotions that are often hiding spaces for shame are lying, denial narcissism, avoidance and isolation, projecting onto others, anger and rage, defiance, jealousy, insecurity, secrecy, and being super private. It's one thing to keep your business intact, but it's another thing to not want people to know anything about you because of shame, feelings, and experiences in your life. There's also people-pleasing and depression and anxiety, addictions, codependency, blaming, and these are just a few of the behaviors where shame may be hidden underneath. Do any of these sound familiar to you? A few of those do for me. This is a whole lot to take in. So if I could summarize all of this that I've said so far, I would say it in this paragraph statement. Shame is constructed from many situations in our lives over time, starting in our earliest life experiences. And shame strips away the true essence of who we were uniquely designed to be and live freely in. Shame causes us to cover up our authentic selves and exist in a distorted, fragmented and dissociated lifestyle that is bolstered up by behaviors that keep us distanced from. From the truth and disconnected from the joy and the sweetness of life that is ours that should flow in and out of our lives. So, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here with this information right now, just honestly feeling some kind of way. (laughs) And I am ready to shift to shame. I hope that you are too. So, before we wrap up today, I want to tell you the good news because I always want to make sure that we know that good news exists. Because change is possible. Our healing is possible. Getting freed up is possible. So here's the good news, news that you can use. Feelings of shame, y'all, are normal. They are a part of our emotional makeup and how we respond to what happens to us. Yes, normal. But shame doesn't have to be seen as something that's pathological, which means that If you have shame, something is wrong with you. (laughs) No. And listen, y'all, imagine that shame already makes you question your worth. Right. And so then to think that if you are having challenges with it, it's something wrong with you because of that, too. Okay, that's just a whole lot of labeling and a whole lot to bear. like everything else in our life that God allows, shame can help us even if it hurts us when we open up to healing and learning from it. And I'll close with this wisdom from Dr. Berger. He says, shame has lessons to teach us if we can listen and if we can bear it. Here's what I know for sure freed up friends you can bear it. I can bear it. And we can live and thrive beyond it so that we can have healthier and happier relationship lives, happier with ourselves, happier and more connected with God, and happier, healthier, and connected with each other. So listen, I need you to come back for our next episode where we're going to talk in detail about four specific ways that we can address shame in our life and keep making those investments into the relationships that we want to stand the test of life and time. Thanks for being here today. And you know, as always, you do not walk this path alone. I am walking right alongside you as well as the rest of the freedom friends. And don't you forget, God loves you. I love you and make sure you take care of you.